The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz, ring, ring, pick up, Mr. or Ms. CIO. This is your wake-up call. Before I get started, let me tell you who our panelists are. We are talking about digital transformation, a CIO's prescriptive guide. Special guests today are Alan Adler, the managing partner of Digital Bridge Partners. We have Paul Kerchina, welcoming him back. It's been a long time. Community builder and evangelist with America's SAP Users Group, fondly known as ASUG, A-S-U-G. And we're rounding out the panel with Pank Kapoor, managing principal for the industry value engineering IVE team in the SAP Midwest Market Unit. So now let's get back to our wake-up call for CIOs, your business, regardless of what industry you're in, regardless of how mature your company is or where you're located, it will not remain materially unchanged by the combined forces that are looking you right in the eye right now. I'm talking mobile. I'm talking social. I'm talking cloud, and let's round it out with analytics. What's going on? Well, they are impacting business models business processes, and the people inside and outside of your enterprise firewalls. That's a lot of power coming at you. What's happening? What do we call this? Can we put this all together and tie a nice red ball around it? Yes, we call this the Digital Transformation DT Revolution. Questions are arising, of course. How will your company survive? Well, we think we can reduce that down to two questions. If you can come up with the answers to those questions, you're going to be just fine. Number one, what needs to change? Well, that's always a good place to start. And number two, how can you get ready for these changes? As I said, we have a wonderful panel today of experts. They're going to help you figure this out. Our listeners are all over the world, so we're talking globally in every sense of the word. First up, I am welcoming officially Alan Adler. By the way, he spells his first name A-L-L-A-N. There are so many variations of that. He's the managing partner of Digital Bridge Partners. And Alan has sent me a quote from a gentleman who lived from 1883 to 1950. The name is Joseph Schumpeter, S-C-H-U-M-P-E-T-E-R. He was an Austrian-born American economist in political science who served briefly as finance minister of Austria in 1919. Well, that's interesting. By 1932, he was a professor at Harvard University where he stayed until the end of his career. But what's most interesting about Mr. Schumpeter is he is a major economic influencer in the 20th century, and he popularized the term creative destruction. 
Aha. And he wrote in Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy in 1942, the opening of new markets, foreign or domestic, and the organizational development from the craft shop to such concerns as U.S. Steel illustrate the same process of industrial mutation. I'm going to stop there and read the quote that Alan has selected. This process of creative destruction is the essential fact about capitalism. Fascinating quote. Alan Adler, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm very well. Happy to be here. Delighted. Tell me, are you a follower of Mr. Schumpeter? I've never heard of creative destruction, but, Alan, every time I see road work in New York City during rush hour, I think of that as creative destruction. I'm sorry to to, uh, <laughs> to bring the term down from its lofty heights. But go ahead. Tell me about Schumpeter and how this relates to our topic today, the wake-up call for CIOs. Well, this was a guy who actually grew up in, in Marxism and looked at capitalism as a sort of a new and interesting idea. And his basic observation was that innovation, and he even talked about technological innovation, was going to create these temporary monopolies. But those monopolies would be replaced and essentially uh, removed by new technologies that would come and displace them. So this concept of creative disruption is this notion that new ideas, essentially innovation, driven by technology, would be the very thing that creates the the next new idea that takes the last one out. So this concept that we're never really, we can never really sit back and say, hey, we've got this one covered because there's always someone who's going to come along and, and displace us. So he was really the, the instigator and the innovator of that whole concept of, of digital disruption. So he was, he's really, we can blame him for all this, uh, all this chaos and confusion that, that we have to deal with. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Uh, are you a follower of his? And do you know anybody who still talks about this creative disruption process? Yeah, well, there's a great book called Agile Innovation. It's basically the, if I had to pick one book to say, you know, you want to find out what you need to change your culture to look like, it's that book. And uh, the authors of the book speak, you know, extensively about the notion that, you know, innovation, which is really the means by which you create disruption, is really the new strategy for for the next uh, next several decades, and and so it's that that work's being relooked at from the standpoint of economic principles, not just uh, digital transformation as a as a topic. Thank you very much, Alan. Appreciate that, and welcome. Happy to have you on board. I'm having a Thank struggle you. here with my my mouse has just died on me, so I'm trying to move my notes ahead. But I think I've got us up good. I've got us up to our next speaker, Paul Kachina. Community Builder and Evangelist with ASUG, America's SAP User Group. And Paul has selected a quote from Dr. Tony Wagner. Uh, I wasn't familiar with Tony, but he is currently an expert in residence at Harvard University's new Innovation Lab, and he serves as a senior research fellow at the Learning Policy Institute, which was founded in 2015 by Linda Darling Ham- Hammond. Uh, Tony was the first innovation education fellow at the Technology and Entrepreneurship Center at Harvard. And here's a little side note here. He recently served as the strategic education advisor for a major new education documentary called Most Likely to Succeed, which had its world premiere at last year's Sundance Film Festival. Let me read the quote Paul has selected from Tony Wagner. Today, because knowledge is available on every connected device, what you know matters far less than what you can do with what you know. Paul Cuccino, welcome back. It's been a long time. How have you been? Thank you, Bonnie. I've, I've been great, and it's good to be back again. Wonderful. Talk to me. Are you a follower, a, an advocate, an evangelist for Dr. Tony Wagner's teachings? Talk to me. Well, I am, and actually where he first came across his work, I would all call him, I have two boys, so it's almost a bit of a side hobby as well. 
you know, looking at the future of education and where education is going in this age. Um, so Tony has actually written quite a bit about this as well as uh, the 21st century skills. And, you know, what I really like about his quote and, and, and some of his work is just that aspect about how for this new era, we have to, you know, not just think differently, but I think almost learn to be differently, uh, be different. Um, you know, if you, if you look at, there's terms that's been used a lot um, in addition to digital transformation is this fourth industrial revolution. You know, if, if you look at um, the evolution, the, the second industrial revolution um, was, you know, farming, agriculture, um, move forward to the third, which was industrial nature, and moving now forward to this fourth, which, which is digital. And when you think about the aspect that um, we have to um, change, we have to sort of think differently. You know, Alan talked about being more agile. We also have to be more adaptive. You know, it's not just more important to have memorized different things and have knowledge at your finger, knowledge in, in your mind. You have that today on your devices. So the capability, especially with this ever-increasing amount of digitization and additional information, to, in essence, do new things with it. You know, you have skills like critical thinking, communication, collaboration, all that. So for me, what this means is we have to start thinking, I'll term it almost more, what is the personal transformation that is required um, in this new era? Because we have to change as individuals. Thank you, Paul. And and I, interestingly enough, when I was looking up Tony Wagner, I found a variation on this quote, which is uh, very interesting to me. Let me just read this. It's a, a permutation on what he said. The world no longer cares how much you know. The world cares about what you can do with what you know. So, yes, agree? Oh, to- uh, definitely agree. Totally agree. And that was also by Tony Wagner. Thank you, Paul. Very interesting quote. And let's bring on our third panelist. As I mentioned at the start, it's Pank, P-A-N-K, Kapoor, K-A-P-U-R, if you want to look him up. Managing Principal for the Industry Value Engineering Team, that's I-V-E, in the SAP Midwest Market Unit. And Pank has chosen a quote from a classic quotee. It's Winston Churchill, who was originally named Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill, K-G-O-M-C-H-T-D, P-C-D-L-F-R-S-R-A, those are the letters after his name. I have no idea what they mean, but he was a British statesman, Prime Minister of the UK from 1940 to 45, and again from 51 to 55, and he won the Nobel Prize in Literature. I don't know how many people know that. And Winston Churchill was the first person, apparently, to be made an honorary citizen of the U.S. That is interesting in itself. He lived until 1965. Here is the quote. It's very often quoted, and it's very true. Winston Churchill said, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. Pank Kapoor, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Pank? I am good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for asking. Are you a big follower of Winston Churchill? How would you come to pick this quote? I wouldn't say I'm a big follower of Winston Churchill, but I would say that I am a follower of everything which happened during the World War II time frame. And Winston Churchill... He was famous for his resistance and his early resistance to what he saw as a threat in Nazi Germany. And uh, he was a visionary, so he saw the threat coming along before many others did. So, um, you know, it's not ironic that he was the prime minister which led Britain to victory during the Second World War. Uh, 
Now, coming to the quote, um, this tees up perfectly with what Alan and Paul said. Alan mentioned about Joseph, Joseph Schumpeter, and mm-hmm. he mentioned about how economies and how corporations need to evolve. And uh, Paul talked about how, as individuals, we need to evolve in this era of digital transformation. Now, the quote by Winston Churchill, it talks about how, as a corporation, do I make myself more sustainable? And uh, the only way I can make myself more sustainable in this era of innovation is by changing myself. So the quote directly refers to uh, corporations which should change the way they do business, the way they go to market, or just small changes here and there in the process just to align with this era of uh, of creative destruction which we have entered over the last couple of decades or so. Thank you very much, Pank. Uh, Very, very interesting. What would Winston Churchill say if he knew that you were talking about him on a radio show that is based on the Internet with a global listenership and that he was being quoted along with such other very renowned thought leaders as Dr. Tony Wagner and Joseph Schumpeter? What do you think Winston Churchill would say? Uh, Winston Churchill probably has a bit more literary prowess than I I do, but I, I'm sure he would say <laughs> he 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 would look at the irony that someone who originally hails from India, which is you know Winston Churchill was a British, um, he he had some thoughts about uh, British occupation of India. I'm I'm sure he would have something witty to say about all of this. And I don't think he would have been as politically correct. <laughs> very, very interesting. I wonder what he would have said about the concept of creative destruction. I'm sure he would have had a lot to write about that. Let's circle back to Mr. Alan Adler. Alan, I want to know where you're calling from today. And this is the part of the show we do a little personal dig, digging and diving. We'd like to know what are you drinking right now while we're on air or what are you planning to drink later to hopefully celebrate your appearance with us today? Today. Alan? Yes, well, thanks, Bunny. Uh, I'm coming from Ashland, Oregon, north of the California border. And, uh, you know, uh, this morning, um, after we're done, I'm going to uh, do what I typically do, which is to pull up my uh, Starbucks app and, and order a cup of uh, Americano from, uh, from my mobile phone. And I think the interesting thing about that is that, you know, I no longer uh, wonder about which brand I'm going to drink. I wonder, like, which one I can get most easily and digital makes that all possible. Isn't that interesting? And you and where do you have to go to pick this up? Is it nearby? Yeah, it's just down the street. It takes me uh, it takes me about three minutes to get over there, and I don't have to stand in line, and there it is waiting for me right at the counter. It's ready. And, and is, would you say that qualifies for creative destruction or creative great creative improvement? Yeah, well, any, any place I go anywhere in the world, I pull up my app, and boom, there it is. And I don't even have to think about, you know, uh, where I have to go, I just look at the app, tells me where to go, pick it up, and I'm done. I like that very much. By the way, I don't know what your age is, but uh, what generational cohort do you belong to, Alan? I'm looking at your picture. It's hard to tell. So where are you? Because I'm wondering, who is is using apps like this? I'm sure there are millions of people, but do you think there's any particular generational group that says, yeah, I want to get my coffee, I don't want to stand on, I hate standing on lines. This little app, I'll figure it out, and I'll pick my coffee and well, just I'd like, saunter. I'd like, to say, yeah. I'd like to say I'm, I'm a very old millennial. <laughs> <laughs> But Can I, I start using? <laughs> I, I would definitely say that millennials are, are the target for for these types of apps, and you know, soon millennials will be all the people working in the workforce. So it's basically the mainstream. 
You know what? That's absolutely right. I've heard statistics that millennials will make up 75% of the U.S. workforce in the next, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so. So they're coming. They're here. So we may as well just say we're older millennials. I like that, yeah. Alan. I, I knew I liked you when I met you. I'm going to go with that, too. How old are you, Bonnie? Well, I'm an older millennial. Yeah, I've been around for a while. I know more than they do because I started the millennial generation. I love that. Paul Cucino, where are I think you're in. Uh, you landed back. Let's see. You're in Chicago with our sponsor, David Fowler, and you're back. Back in Calgary, so we know where you are. What are you drinking today? I'm sure you've had a long couple of days being on the road. Paul? It's been a long couple of days and actually a great couple of days talking with and hearing from you know thought leaders on the digital transformation topic as well as engaging conversation with customers. And you know, just back at sort of two AM Calgary time this morning from um, Chicago into Calgary. So I have a very strong coffee keep me through this morning. And I just want to tag on uh, to further extend what Alan mentioned a bit. I, I, I'm a seasoned millennial. <laughs> oh, we got a good group today. Seasoned millennial. Well, now, now you're giving me a real conundrum because I don't know whether to be an older millennial or a, I could be a well-seasoned salt and pepper redhead millennial i'll come up with something thank you sorry to to look at myself in this but it's just fascinating so <laughs> yes very good so you're keeping yourself going with caffeine yes yes indeed good do you use an app for getting your coffee by the way i i, I do and and, and it, it depends on you know talent in many cases you know how big the lineup is but you know a combination of that that convenience is just amazing you know we talked earlier about you know, Tony's quote about, you know, knowledge at your fingertips, coffee at your fingertips through your device. I know. It's amazing. I, I think Winston Churchill would, I wouldn't say be turning over in his grave or his tomb wherever they put him, but I think he'd say, yeah, I want some of that. Teach me how to use that. I think he would like that. I really do. Pank Kapoor, where are you calling from and what are you drinking now or what are you going to drink to celebrate later? I'm calling from a town called Naperville, Illinois, just uh, outside of Chicago. And I'm drinking an interesting coffee. It's called Kopi Lua. Uh, now, oh, one yes. thing which not many people know about me is that for three years of my work life, I lived in a country called Indonesia. And Indonesia is famous for this coffee. Uh, while we are at the topic of digital transformation, this coffee goes through a, a, a radical transformation in its form before it, it gets served to us. So uh, the, the process is that there is a special cat called the Civet cat, and the civet cat eats coffee cherries, and then whatever comes out from the other end, what's in the fecal matter, that's processed by the farmers, and, and that's how this coffee comes to fruition. And uh, but, uh, so That's a nice today, word for it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, Go you, ahead. You know, the, the interesting thing is, knowing the process of creation, before today I just had one cup, and today was my second cup of this coffee ever. What does it taste like? Is it good? Is it rich? Is it dark? Uh, well, I can't tell you because I, I'm not a coffee connoisseur. I, it, it tastes like regular coffee, maybe a bit better, a bit richer. But uh, to me, it tastes like regular coffee, a richer version of regular coffee. Very interesting. Well, you told me this when we met on our prep call a couple of days ago, so I looked it up. And if anybody wants to learn more about this Civet coffee, C-I-V-E-T, the cat, I won't add another word after that. Uh, it's spelled K-O-P-I, Kopi, 
Luvac, L-U-W-A-K, or Luwak, uh, refers to the coffee that includes partly digested coffee cherries eaten and blank, blank, blank by the Asian palm civet. And they think that it, it improves the coffee through selection and digestion. I think I will stop right there. And by the way, thank you very much, Pank. That's interesting. I think a guest about two years ago mentioned that coffee as well. So we're, we're glad to revisit it. I have to mention to everybody that David Fowler, our, our wonderful sponsor here at SAP of this series, The Future of Business with Game Changers, has informed me that he is drinking French roast with cream from the office coffee machine. And, uh, yes, he wants you to know, Pank, that you may win the award for the most unusual coffee on the show, mentioned on the show. And do you like it? Are you enjoying it even though you're not a, a coffee aficionado, Pank? I like it. I like it. I, I I can't say I don't like it. It's better than regular coffee. Okay, we'll go with that. So everybody, line up. Uh, Adel Allen, I wonder if you could ask them to dispense that at Starbucks. That could be the the highlight of maybe for two or three hours to see if people liked it. I think we'll just leave that one I'll, I'll alone. Put a note into that. You put a note into that. We're talking about digital transformation. I think we've taken it to a very personal level just now, being able to order your coffee three minutes away by app and not have to stand in line, as well as so many other things. We're talking about a CIO's prescriptive guide. Very interesting topic. The basic premise of our call today is Mr. or Ms. CIO, wake up. The digital transformation revolution is upon us. You will have to change. The question is, what will you change and how do you get ready for this change? Two-part question and we're going to continue to answer that after the break. So I will say to our listeners, don't even think of touching that app, that mouse, that dial, whatever you're using to listen to us and we'll be right back. So to our engineer, Justin out. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Indeed, the future of business is here. It's now. Don't even think for a minute. It's far away because it's not. And we're talking today about digital transformation revolution. I didn't say evolution, revolution. We're going to start the roundtable with some notes from our first guest, Alan Adler. And Alan has a couple of comments I'm going to read, and then he's going to expand it. Alan says, DT, digital transformation is a big deal. Many companies are frozen 
when it comes to executing on digital transformation, and in most cases, IT is trying but failing to lead and thrive. Wow, that's provocative. Alan Adler, tell us more, please. Sure. Well, thanks. The, the, you know, the good news is, is that most IT organizations, and for those of you who are working in IT organization from the CIO down, are, are making a lot of changes. And uh, we participated in a study with The Economist uh, at SAP and you know, found that you know, almost 50% or more of those companies are seen to have made material changes. And this is from the perspective of business customers looking at the IT department saying, well, we see IT changing. But I think the, the recognition of the nature of the change, you know, Cisco says that in a study they did that in every single industry will fall out of dominance by 2020. That's five years, four years. So four out of ten of us are not going to be sitting on the thrones that we're sitting on today. We've got to wake up and say, if we don't make moves right now, if we don't make material changes right now, we're going to be in deep trouble. And I think when we look at, at where IT is situated, uh, it's not so much that IT is not trying, it's that there's a leadership and a, a vision challenge where IT needs to step into the innovation role more materially. And the recognition that only a small percentage of IT organizations are seen to be bringing new ideas to the business, only about 15% of them are seen to have the agile methodologies that are necessary. And that leads to this sort of gap where IT can and should fill that role but needs to find a way to situate itself so that it is able to innovate and it's able to facilitate that change. Thank you very much. Let's talk to Paul. I understand you dropped, but you're back with us. Paul Kachina, can you comment on what Alan just started on the bigness, the enormity of the DT revolution? Uh, I'm back, and it, I, I agree with Alan. It, 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 it's huge. And uh, the other dimension to this, I mean, in many ways, I think IT has been doing things a set way for a long period of time. Um, and, you know, with all these changes afoot, you know, they got very good at these rigid processes. Um, but they have to find a way now, in essence, almost be, you know, schooled into how to do things differently, you know, how to be more adaptable. And I, I think as well, I've had lots of conversations over the last number of months um, with a number of companies, you know, have done probably 30-plus webcasts uh, related mm. to the, this topic. And I think the realization is there. We have to be different. And, and what people are trying to uncover is the how. You know, how can I move forward? I mean, they're just seeing so many radical changes in their personal and consumer lives. They're now, I think, grappling with how do I do this inside the enterprise? Interesting. Pankpa Kapoor, let's have your thoughts on this, please. Let's round out this topic. Yes, and, and, and I cannot agree more with both Aaron and Paul. That if we look at how historically IT has worked, it has basically provided a service to the business, and, and that's what they perfected. How do I make sure that the, I keep the lights on? And there was very little thought or investment into what we call innovation and innovation related to digital transformation. If you also look at how various IT organizations are structured, not many CIOs have a seat on the table when it comes to making big strategic decisions about the direction which the business would take. But we have seen that for most of the customers and prospects that I work with, where IT does have a seat on the table, IT is ready or is getting ready for that next wave of digital transformation. So I guess if we need for IT to thinking 
to be thinking in terms of how do I drive the next phase of business innovation, we first need to make sure that we look at IT more as a strategic function and not a cost center, which is how it is viewed currently in many of the customers and organizations which we see around. Pank, why is IT, why is the CIO not having a strategic seat at the table? That's a surprise to me. I thought they already were. Yeah, and that's what I said. For for the mm-hmm. for organizations which are more progressive right. and which have realized that ID is strategic, they are the ones who are reaping the benefits. But then there are still many other organizations where that is not the case. Okay, very interesting. Are they what are they doing to change that? Are are they aware? Are they fighting and kicking and screaming and say, Hey, wait a minute, move your chairs aside, we need to be there. This is critical because of digital transformation. Is this a, a push or are they kind of staying on the sidelines and saying, well, maybe someday. What's your observation? And, and, and I would take an industry view of those things. There are some industries which are impacted a lot more. So if I look at anything which uh, relates directly to consumer, uh, call it retail, healthcare, those are the industries which are changing faster. But then if we look at some of the industrial companies, uh, not, maybe not so much. So... Um, so I, I guess that is also a function of uh, what industry are we talking about? Digital transformation is impacting some industries more than the others, but it's a part of the hype cycle, and you're absolutely right that many CIOs we talk to, they're talking to us and talking to many other people about how do I in, enforce that digital transformation and how do I become relevant in this new era. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, entertaining my question. I appreciate that. Alan Adler, let's circle back to you. You started this. DT is a big deal. My question to you before we move on is evolution, revolution. Was it an evolution in the beginning and now it's revolution? Or is there a continuum there? Do I have it backwards? Sure. Well, you know, every every business that operates an existing business model is operating evolutionarily because that's what an existing business model is. And what makes digital so tough is it continues to force us to think about new business models, new ways of doing things. And in that regard, it takes a revolution in thinking, even though the steps you take are evolutionary, which sounds like a little bit of a contradiction in terms, but the, the stepping out of the comfort zone piece that, that Paul talked about, you know, IT is set its ways. Gardner talks about this idea of finding a new speed, the second speed of IT, which is the fast-fail, the innovation part of the equation. And it, it takes at least a revolution of thought uh, to then facilitate a stepwise approach. So no one changes revolutionarily. Everyone changes with the next day. You know, when you hang up the phone from this radio, you can go back to what you were doing. It'll be one step. But the mind shift, the mind share shift is the key. Making that shift in a revolution in IT's way of thinking about the problem then facilitates all the necessary change and also the courage that's required to facilitate it. Thank you very much. Paul Kerchina, I'm looking at your notes, some interesting things here. Let's get down into some of the guidelines, the guidance you want to share with us, and then we'll have Pank and Alan chime in and see if they agree or disagree. A couple of steps you're indicating here for the CIO. Paul Kerchina says, remove the processes and the technology that are mostly redundant, non-value add. That's number one. Number two, use your imagination. Wow, what a concept. Use your imagination to determine what your customers need, what they will want, and what you can offer to them for a better experience. Let's start with those two. Paul, can you uh, expand those for us, please? Uh, certainly, Bonnie. Um, you know, it's, kind of, it's interesting. As we were talking about earlier, I, I was thinking about sort of what's different, especially as well from an IT side. 
I mean, what is really different is a number of things. One, in terms of, you know, this whole uh, uh, focus on thinking about the customer, and it's all about the customer and the experience of the customer. And I think from another perspective, from an internal IT side, it's probably having greater empathy um, with your end users. I mean, quite frankly, IT got away for quite a while with almost dictating what the end users would have. And uh, end users are, are also consumers, and, and they're quite well aware of what is possible today. Um, so they know what to expect. So we can't, almost from an IT side, we have to understand the world on, on which the, they work in. And we also have to understand, basically as well, you know, not just our given industry. I mean, you're seeing so many cases of disruption happening where new startups, new entrants coming in, into new industries. We really have to sort of look outside, you know, our traditional peer groups um, into new, are- new areas for new ideas. I um, hear a lot of conversation lately as well about, you know, companies actually putting in place, you know, innovation outposts in Silicon Valley, for example. So it could hmm. be a customer... Um, in, you know, the middle of Canada or in Ontario, um, Canada, that might put in a, a small operation in Silicon Valley to garner additional ideas. And I think the other piece of this as well, you know, we hear a lot about being ent- entrepreneurs, but I think there's mm-hmm. a new shift going around to educate uh, IT in the business is almost how to be entrepreneurs as well. Um, and I think all this going back to as well to this whole concept of is this an evolution or a revolution? Um, I related earlier this concept or discussion around the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a digital revolution um, that we're embarking on. Very interesting. And I'm, I'm so not used to, Paul, not used to hearing the word imagination in the same sentence with IT. Am I wrong? No, I, I, I mean... It's yeah. with the technologies we have available today, um, it's almost uh, if you can dream it, you can build it. And, and I think that capability for us to start thinking about, you know, not having our limitations unto ourselves in a world where, um, you know, everything in our physical world is being brought into a digital side. Um, it's almost endless, the possibilities that can create it as these two worlds are sort of brought together. Thank you very much. Pank, I bet you have a lot to say about this. Please join us. Sure, yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting because when we talk to the IT organizations and, and various companies, it, it is apparent that many of them are looking to solve their existing problems, but then they also want to work on initiatives which uh, would impact the organization of the future. So um, we are seeing, and I would take another view on things, that the IT organizations are realizing that they need to change themselves. And uh, I would talk about the change they're looking from a skill set which the IT organization and the people working as part of those organizations they need to bring to the table. So um, a lot of these IT organizations, they want to learn and execute on design thinking so they Mm -hmm. can... Uh, they can visualize and look at the software of the future. And, and uh, Paul and Alan, they have both talked about that, you know, with the consumer perception of technology changing, with the advent of cool apps, cool new tools, which the consumers can use, they also want enterprise applications, enterprise tools to look similar to those tools. Mm-hmm. And um, 
knowledge of design thinking to be able to design those tools, to be able to think from a consumer, eventual consumer's perspective is something which I am seeing a lot of IT organizations trying to build into their DNA now. Thank you very much, Pank. Let's circle this around the table to Mr. Alan Adler. Alan, thoughts on what Paul brought up? And Pank has already expanded. What's your POV on this, please? Sure. Well, we like to think of the, the, this concept of change of mindset from the concept of order taking, which is the IT as a service provider, to more like order making, which is IT as an innovation solution provider. So from IT service to innovation solutions, so we see that, that, that shift happening. And fundamentally, this brings back this concept of, like, is IT's job to, to deliver the technology or is IT's job to participate in the thinking and the reimagination of the fundamentals of the business? Pank yes. earlier talked about the fact that yes. some IT departments are, and the CIOs actually have a seat at the table. The only reason that you get a seat at the table in any business conversation is because you're leading with the business part of the conversation. Rather than leading with the what what kind how many servers do you need and how many virtual machines do you need, which is totally at backwards, we have to get in front of the problem and think innovation, not in back of the problem and think technology. Thank you. That's what I was alluding to before. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Paul Kerchina. You started this. Any thoughts on what your co-panelists have added since you began this topic for us? Um, not much to add to that. I, I, I think they, 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 they framed it well. Um, I, and I guess the other thing that I would be tempted to add is what I find interesting. I come from a utility customer background in, in, in dealing part of my life in, in dealing with real-time plant operations. And just that aspect, aspect in today's world that um, just the real-time nature of everything we're doing, um, that is the other aspect to this. That is, is a change um, from what we've had to deal with in the past. You know, we could deal with latency in certain things, but everything is real-time. You know on your cell phone as well that basically you expect when you type something in, you're not going to wait around for a minute or two for an answer. So nope. the whole real-time aspect embedded into everything we do is just another layer that we have to build in. Thank you very much. And now I'm ready to move on to some notes from Pank Kapoor. Pank sent me the following very interesting uh Yes, digital transformation comes in many shapes and forms. There are four that are most pervasive, digitizing things that could be people, forms, invoices, connecting these digitized things in a seamless process, and I think seamless is, is one of the keywords there, creating a network of these things so they can interact with each other and connecting different processes to create a digitized enterprise. Peg, you want to pull this apart? And is there anything in particular you would like our CIO listeners to focus on, or is this all one connected thing we can't pull it apart? We can, we can, and um, and and this does also talk about if we draw a maturity model of digital transformation. The first thing which we started doing, I would say, as far as the '80s is when we started, you know, just depaperizing the world, is we started digitizing small bits and pieces, and and the first thing which uh, came there was paper. Um, the next thing which we started doing was connecting these things into a process. So now when I order something, uh, the order goes through. There is no paper involved. Uh, it goes through electronically. It gets processed electronically, and the fulfillment happens electronically, although there is also a physical part in the fulfillment. 
Another thing which I did want to mention, and this is probably for this past decade, the, biz, the biggest, biggest business model which came out of this digital transformation is the network effect. Now, consider Uber, which is the biggest taxi company in the world, but they do not own any assets. Mm-hmm. Consider Airbnb. They are the biggest room provider for travel, but they don't own any physical rooms. And the biggest media company, similarly, is Facebook. And the network effects, which is now bringing these digital people, digital assets together and forming the network so that the demand, which is coming from people, from the consumption of these various assets and the, and the supply, which is coming from people or corporations, which are actually holding these assets and the value it is unlocking, it's huge. Uh, now, if we look at it from a demand and supply perspective, let me give you another business model which people haven't really thought about. Everyone cooks food at home, and everyone eats food at home. So you, you can bring these two things together in a network, and now I form a company like Uber, which is just bringing people who are making food with people who are consuming food, which is pretty much everyone. But someone like me who doesn't really like to cook, I would be a f- the first customer of this network. So you can realize that you know, digitizing Pank as a person and having a profile on this network and digitizing Bonnie, let's say you are one of the food providers as a person, and having you as a supplier of this and bringing us two together and, and charging you and me for just being that network, that is something which we have seen, which has created enormous value. And the last one which we have seen, and this is the vision, is how do I connect all these digital people assets together uh, to, create a, to create processes which are nearly touchless? Thank you, Pank. Very provocative, and I want to get into one more thing, but first I want to go around the table quickly. Alan Adler, thoughts on this model that Pank has described? You know, I think this, uh, this concept network effects you know, leads us to think to think about the concept that everything's becoming an experience. We've become, we've moved into this, when Paul talked about the, this concept of the fourth industrial revolution, which is often called the cyber-physical, it's all these assets getting connected, all these experiences are, are creating a whole new opportunity to, to change the way things get done. We call those the experiences. And Tank talked about the network effect. The, what's happened that's really interesting is that these new what are called platform business models or affectionately called multi-sided platforms have emerged. And they're absolutely dominating the world. You know, three out of the top five most valuable companies in the world are platform business models. Thirteen out of the top mm-hmm. 30 most valuable companies in the world. Seven out of the top 10 unicorns. They're all these platform business models that have created these experiences that bring two or more customer groups together to re-experience and Paul's point of reimagining what's possible. So the, the advice we give to to anybody in the IT department is if you can find a really cool experience either internally or externally for your customers and can start to manifest this network effect to facilitate it, then you're going to be leading rather than following. So all about experience is all about using, using platforms to create new business models that change the world. Thank you, Alan. Very, very interesting. And uh, Paul Cucina, love to get your two cents or $10 worth on this. What do you think? Well, I'll give you my 10 Canadian dollars, which is probably a little bit less. Um, <laughs> okay. So to further tag on Ellen's comment about uh, experiences, I read a term last week that talked about instead of the Internet of uh, things or an Internet of everything, the Internet of experiences. Ooh. So I sort of think about more and more with these platforms and these new toolkits 
you know, thinking more of that aspect of people creating new products with uh, some um, from these tools that we have available and all these technologies to truly, you know, not just give our customers new experiences, but to give our internal employees whole new experiences that they could not have imagined before. Internet of experiences. I do a lot of shows here. We talk about a lot of varieties of Internet, but I've never heard of Internet of Experiences, not that I can remember. Is, is somebody in particular responsible for coining that, Paul, or is that yours? I, is that a no, Paul No, it's Kirchina not mine isn't? in terms of um, I'm a big fan of R&D, which is uh, rip off and duplicate in a good way with credit. <laughs> um, I can't exactly remember uh, who it is, but I think it was a 3D provider. Um, I'll have to dig that up later. I would love to know that. I think that's fascinating. And, Pank, let me go back to you. Any comments on what Alan and Paul have added to your concept of digital transformation coming in many shapes and forms? Pank? Yes, and, and Alan touched on it. I think one thing which we, we absolutely have to take into consideration is when we talk of the network business model, the companies which lead, so the first movers, get the biggest advantage. And as corporations, they evolve and they think of these new business models either as part of their existing business or getting into a completely new business. First mover advantage is the key. So uh, thank you, Alan, for bringing that up. Thank you, Alan, for bringing that up. Good. And, Pank, I'm not going to let you off the hook here yet. We're almost ready for our predictions round. We've got about five more minutes. But there's something here in your notes I think bears talking about, the term servicization, serviceization. I don't think we mentioned that before. You say it's a new term coined for transforming products into service-based revenue streams, and it's a huge area companies are looking at today. Can you tell us a little more, Pank, please? Sure, yeah, and, and servicization uh, refers to exactly what you mentioned. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work with a couple of companies. One of them is the manufacturer of dishwashing detergent. So their customers are all these big restaurants uh, which they sell the dishwashing detergent to. Now, their previous business model was they would just sell them quantities of dishwashing detergent and then they would charge them for that dishwashing detergent. But now what they're they're doing is they're making that business model a bit more consumption-based, so they're not charging these big restaurants for the amount of detergent they're selling, but the the number of plates which these restaurants are washing Uh. through that dishwashing detergent. And that has changed the game for them because now, one, they have visibility into the exact consumption demand, and two, they have become more of a partner in these restaurants' business. The restaurants have converted what would be their capital cost. In this case, they would buy big quantities of detergent to now just consumption-based, so it's a win-win for everyone. Similarly, we have another customer who, who was providing big printers to enterprises. And rather than now charging for the printers, they're charging for the amount of printouts you take out of those printers. And servicization refers to now, I'm not charging you for that bulky capital asset. I have converted it as a service, and I'm charging you based on the consumption of that service. And that is something which we also see is impacting the world in a big way. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And, Paul, I just looked up the Internet of Experience. There are so many links about it. Apparently, it's been around for a while. But here's uh, just one comment. The Internet of Experience is about creating products, as Ben Barone Nugent writes in The Guardian, where hardware, human habits, and physical spaces intertwine. Developers should strive for consumer-centric invisibility creating products that allow us to more seamlessly and efficiently exist. And they talk about Nike doing this and Nike Plus. Uh, any comments, Paul? Is this, is this about what well, you're no, talking about? Well, just part of that. It's, it's kind of funny you mentioned about invisibility. I mean, yes. unfortunately, we're in a world where everything is designed on screens, right? We have, you know, iPhones, iPads, laptops, da-da. So when you think about invisibility, it's basically designing experiences probably in just into everyday objects. So it just becomes, I mean, you're in your car with your heads-up display. You have your fob in your pocket for your car. Your door automatically opens. So I think that context as well, taking us all a new level in just designing things in our everyday life. So actually we're not cluttered by so many screens in our world. I like that. Alan Adler, I bet you have something to say about this, the Internet of Experience. Any thoughts, observations? Were you the one who yeah, coined well, that phrase, Alan Adler? Did, is that yours? Uh, no, no, we just uh, we just copy and paste the the uh, <laughs> the Internet of Experiences is a great term because the Internet of Things doesn't really mean anything. You know, creating Internet with things is is like it's an endpoint, but but connecting the endpoints is what digital transformation is all about. And Internet of Experiences begins to talk about the fact that what we're connecting things to do is to create these experiences. And I like what Pink said about this notion of servicization because ultimately. And the only way that you're going to get an experience is to drive outcomes. And outcomes are things like uptime. So if we can start thinking about delivering experiences in which we're trying to create outcomes, like making sure that that this experience happens all the time consistently and that we have a 360-degree view of what everyone is experiencing relative to our experiences, then we're, uh, we're driving rather than following. Thank you very much. And you know what? We have about two minutes before we have to go to our crystal ball predictions round. Uh, Alan Adler, I just want to make sure we cover very briefly here a couple of more things in your notes. Talking about predictions, separating the what to change versus the how to change, which is what we started with at the beginning of the show. And let's talk a little bit about predictions. Uh, you say predictions such as every company must become a tech company and every company can be Ubered. Are these predictions that we should be looking at? Are these predictions that are uh, we should throw away? What do, you, what do you think? Is this real? Well, this concept that every company becomes a tech company, I, I think that, that is that's super important because okay. think about it. You know, the, One of the reasons IT can actually contribute materially to this is because IT is the, if you think of it, is the technology part of every company. And if IT can start to think about how to make its capabilities delivering revenue, not just costs, by innovating, then then we facilitate as IT leaders the, the leadership of our company. You know, a good example of that is you know is GE, who fundamentally is is now one of the largest software companies in the world. They have six billion dollars of software business. That's an industrial company that's become a tech company, changed the entire business model. So, if you're not already be thinking that you are a tech company, you ought to be thinking about becoming one. So there's part of our prescriptive guide for CIOs. I appreciate that. And we are already in predicting or telling them where they need to go. Alan, I'm going to let you start off our crystal ball predictions round because you kind of already did. So I'm going to say, Alan Adler, 
Let's take, oh, we have a lot of time here. Let's give you a whole 60 seconds. <laughs> That's the currency today. 60 seconds to talk about what else would you predict. If, if we met again at some point in the future, and you tell me what that point is, Alan Adler, please. What would sure. be different about this well, conversation? Let's, let's, let's yeah. predict IT, because we talked okay. about being prescriptive about IT, and let's predict where IT is going to be. Uh, the first thing I would say is that every IT organization uh, in a surviving uh, transformed company will have a seat at the CEO table. We won't have IT departments sitting in the back. We call this the, the boiler room phenomenon. Uh, I'm running a boiler room. I'm not in the cockpit, and I don't even know what's going on in the cockpit. We're going to see IT having a seat at the table. We're also going to see IT becoming, we believe, this concept of the innovation solution provider rather than the IT service provider. And that's going to show up with IT having the ability to uh, to really d- deliver revenue, to really be a part of the contribution of the new business model and not simply responding to, well, wh- what would you like to buy today? So our prediction is IT has a seat at the table. IT is an innovation solution provider, not an IT service provider, and that fundamentally IT is part of the revenue production part of the business rather than a cost center. Alan, what point in time will we will we see this, if you're correct on your predictions, 2020, before or after? Yeah. No, I think by 2020, if you survive, if your company survives, it'll be because IT played a role in doing that. So by 2020, we see the surviving IT companies in this environment. And by the way, um, a lot less stuff on-prem and a lot more stuff in the cloud. If you think about, keep, uh, Pank talks about keeping the lights on. The only mm-hmm. way you can get around keeping the lights on, get into innovation, is to outsource. Get get rid of the stuff that's that's causing you to to be in maintenance mode, and get into the innovation business. Thank you very much, Alan Adler. And now let's give Paul Kerchina his sixty seconds of predictions time in the sun here, Paul. From your point of view, your vantage point, what will change, and by what point in the future would this conversation be different? So I think it will be a given that, I mean, the technologies we're seeing from augmented reality, virtual reality, um, robotics, um, increasing sensors, cloud, and so on and so forth, um, will continue to involve and more be just um, part of the the tool set that we have for enabling new experiences and bridging this whole physical and and digital world uh, almost seamlessly and back and forth. But I think the main thing that, that I see is the key aspect of this transformation is really the focus on, on people first and foremost. I mean, these technologies will continually change and evolve. Uh, you know, leading technology today will be a lagging technology tomorrow. But I think companies will recognize to be, be very successful, it's going to be all about the people. Um, you know, their intensity of passion for innovation and that whole continuous improvement culture that's embedded to really enable a lot of changes. And, and, and what I think as well, related to this, there'll be a huge emphasis on, you know, this new skills de- development of, of folks that will be embedded for really continuous learning. I mean, I think gone are the days, as we all know, where, you know, you learn something in school and that knowledge with a bit of fine-tuning is good for 20, 30 years. So it's this whole new skill set that's re- required. And because we have to be different in, in this era um, we have to change to get to a different place, I think, um, just as this technology is changing. Thank you very much. Very insightful. And, Pank Kapoor, I saved a full minute for you. What would you like to predict and what time frame are we looking at? 
So there, there are a couple of things um, which I would like to predict. One, I, I absolutely agree with both Alan and Paul that the IT organization would continue to evolve. In our customer organizations, that they would now start looking at more innovation versus just keeping the lights on and the maintenance-related things would be outsourced. The second prediction I would make is more from an industry perspective, and if we, I do see a player emerging in the realm of virtual reality, uh, and the industry which is most under threat, which people really don't think about, is the airline travel industry from virtual reality. Uh, in U.S. alone, last year, we spent more than $300 billion in business-related travel, and if we just extrapolate those figures through the world, we are way above half a trillion dollars which, which companies are spending for business-related travel. And many of these business-related travel are, is for meetings, which people have with each other as part of the same organization or with the customer. Now, if, mm -hmm. I, if I can create those virtual mm -hmm. meeting rooms where I can give you experience which is similar to a physical meeting room, that is something which uh, some companies are working towards, and I do see a big player emerging in that, in that space. And like I said, it's, it's, the addressable market is more than half a trillion dollars. I think that's something we need to pay attention to, a half a trillion dollars. Nothing wrong with that. I'll take it any day. Thank you, Pank, very much. I have to thank our three extraordinarily insightful and smart panelists. Alan Alder, such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for joining us, taking the time. Thank Paul Kachina, don't take so long to come back and say hello. Shout out to our friends at ASUG. They had their own series here with Game Changers about a year ago, and I'm trying to get them back. Tell Jeff Scott and Sherry Ann, um, yes, Sherry Ann Meyer I said hello. And Pank Kapoor, such a pleasure to meet you smart young man and we hope you will come back as well i've already told david fowler get them back we need to do part two shout out to justin our engineer and shout out to david fowler for sponsoring the show and putting together such an interesting topic and a great panel i'm bonnie d graham and here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for digital transformation is here don't sit still do something about it go out and be a game changer today i'll talk to you at 2 p.m eastern time today here on the business channel with another episode of our new series think big work small with game changers bye bye <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by voice america talk radio network its staff and management.